1: Well, he didn't mush his Huskies, he didn't saddle his horse, and he didn't get behind the wheel of a car. He is sitting in a great big geezer chair, and he's going to do Dr. History for us today. And it's brought to you by Minicasha Sales at 1321 East Main Street in Burley. Here is Dr. History. Merry Christmas, Deb. You chicken!
0: (laughs) (laughs) What can I say? (laughs) You're right. I heard some reports and thought, you know, it's uh, pretty slippery out there, so... I'm playing it safe.
1: I don't blame you. All right, well, yes. now, what? In, now, did I give you any homework assignments from last did, week? and
0: I'm following up on that just as you requested.
1: Okay, go ahead.
0: You wanted some Christmas stories. Yes. Okay, and I've got two or three stories that I'm going to, you know, I'll go for as long as we have time here. But, you know, as people around the world think about Christmas, I think a lot of times they remember a, their first Christmas away from home. Yep. Which can be a, kind of a lonely... Uh, sad sort of time, I my first Christmas uh, away from home, I was uh, living on an English army base in England, and uh, there was a lady that I knew that sung with the Church of England Choir, and uh, she said, well, why don't you come and sing with us uh, when we go caroling on Christmas Eve, and I thought, okay, that's good, because she's never heard me sing, so uh, <laughs> if she had, she probably wouldn't have invited me, but... So I uh, met with her and the other people at the Church of England, and we put on these robes, and we walked around this uh, Army hospital where people were in this Army hospital there. And it was just a neat experience uh, for me to kind of forget about myself and <clears throat> and, and just be able to care to these people that were in the hospital that night.
1: Absolutely.
0: So, But I'm going to tell you a, a World War I and a World War Two story that that kind of shows the spirit of Christmas. Okay, okay. all right. Okay, it's called the Christmas Truce. And this was a series of widespread but unofficial ceasefires along the Western Front around Christmas Christmas in 1914. Now, in the week leading up to this holiday, the German and British soldiers crossed trenches to exchange seasonal greetings and talk and in areas uh, men from both sides would go out into what they call no man's land on christmas eve and christmas day to mingle and actually exchange food and souvenirs and there were joint burial ceremonies and prisoner swaps uh, several meetings ended in carol singing men played games of football or soccer with one another and uh giving one of the most enduring images of the truce but however the peaceful behavior was not uh, uh you know totally there i mean there was fighting in some areas and uh uh, but better in other areas but anyway the following year I guess a few uh, units arranged ceasefires but the truces were not nearly as widespread and uh, mainly due to the officers in charge they did not like the fraternizing of the with the enemy unfortunately even though you know we both know the soldiers did not want to be there they wanted to be home with their family mm-hmm. so but anyway uh, things went pretty good that year but uh, the germans actually placed candles on their trenches and on christmas trees and they continued the celebration by singing christmas carols and the british responded by singing carols of their own and the two sides actually shouted christmas greetings to each other and soon thereafter uh, unfortunately there were no more excursions into no man's land and uh again things kind of turned bad but in some areas it still was pretty good uh there's one particular uh British officer who served in the war and he said I wouldn't have missed that unique and weird Christmas day for anything I spotted a German officer some sort of lieutenant I should think and being a bit of a collector I intimated to him that I had taken a fancy to some of his buttons. I brought out my wire clippers and with a few snips removed a couple of his buttons and put them in my pocket. I then gave him two of mine in exchange Isn't that kind of a Wow. thing to happen during during the middle of a war.
1: I was going to say, this is right during the middle of a war where basically they had their own self-made truce at Christmas time.
0: Exactly. It was, it was not, it did not come down from the higher up people. It was something that the men out in the trenches, they just, you know, they just kind of did it on their own. And you've got to respect the first man that put his head up above the trench. Uh, you know, he could have been shot, but but he wasn't yeah and uh, his bravery made it so that they had a the the best they could do in a bad situation
1: let me if I can interrupt and I'll do a commercial break right here how's that are you there yeah can you hear me now
0: my, my phone keeps going out. Okay, I got
1: uh, it. Okay, okay. Can you hear me? I'm going to do a commercial break real quick. Yes, that'll be good. Alright. And yes, your phone is going out. Uh, don't forget, okay. Minacash's sales at 1321 East Main Street in Burley, and they bring you Dr. History every Tuesday right here on Zebith Ranch. We're having a fun, po- kind of an array of problems here this morning. Don't forget, Zach and the crew, they can help you with all your lumber needs, and of course, all the windows with the western windows to keep the cold out and the heat inside. They've got all the Tartar Farm and Ranch gates and panels. They've got it all for you. All your carpet, all your vinyl, everything. All you have to do is stop in and see them today. We stopped in yesterday. It was really good to see old Zach, good old boy at Minicasha Sales. 1321 East Main Street in Burley. And they wish you and yours a very Merry Christmas. And now back to the man that helped Alexander Graham Bell invent the telephone. Here's Dr. History.
0: Now, okay, here we go to World War II. Now, there was no truce similar to the one that occurred during Christmas in 1914 in World War I, but in that earlier conflict, thousands of British, French, and German soldiers, you know, exhausted by the slaughter of the previous five months, and as I mentioned, they left their trenches and met the enemy, uh, but, uh, exchanging gifts, but the generals on both sides determined that they, that would not happen again. So here we are, December of 1944, during the Battle of the Bulge, While the Americans fought for their lives against a massive German onslaught, a tiny shred of human decency happened on Christmas Eve, and a German mother made this happen. Three American soldiers, one badly wounded, were lost in the snow-covered Ardennes Forest. As they tried to find the American lines, they had been walking for three days while the sounds of battle echoed in the hills and valleys all around them. Then, on Christmas Eve, they came upon a small cabin in the woods. Elizabeth Vinken and her 12-year-old son Fritz had been hoping her husband would arrive to spend Christmas with them, but it was now too late. The Vinkens had been bombed out of their home in Aachen, Germany, and had managed to move into the hunting cabin in the Herdgen Forest about four miles from a place called Monschel, near the Belgian border. Now, Fritz's father stayed behind to work and visited them when he could their Christmas meal would now have to wait for his arrival Elizabeth and Fritz were alone in the cabin well there was a knock on the door Elizabeth blew out the candles and opened the door to find two enemy American soldiers standing at the door and a third one lying in the snow now despite the rough appearance they seemed hardly older than boys they were armed and could have simply burst in but they hadn't so she invited them inside and they carried their wounded comrade into the warm cabin Elizabeth didn't speak English, and they didn't speak German. But they managed to communicate in broken French. Hearing their story and seeing their condition, especially the wounded soldier, Elizabeth started preparing a meal. She sent Fritz to get six potatoes and Herman, which was the name of their rooster. And, um, well, she took care of Herman's head. And while (laughs) Herman roasted uh, over the fire, there was another knock on the door. And Fritz went to open it, thinking there might be more lost Americans. But instead, there were four armed German soldiers.
1: Oh, boy.
0: Now, knowing the penalty for harboring the enemy was execution, Elizabeth, white as a ghost, pushed past Fritz and stepped outside. There was a corporal and three very young soldiers who wished her a Merry Christmas, but they were lost and they were hungry. Now Elizabeth told him they were welcome to come into the warmth and eat until the food was all gone, but that there were others inside who would not consider to be friends. The corporal asked sharply, "If there were Americans in- if there were Americans inside?" And she said there were three who were lost and cold, like they were, and one was wounded. Well, the corporal stared hard at her until she said, "It is the holy night, and there will be no shooting here." She insisted they leave their weapons outside. And dazed by these events, they slowly complied. And Elizabeth went inside, demanding the same of the Americans. So she took their weapons and stacked them outside next to the Germans. Mm. Well, understandably, there was a lot of fear and tension in the cabin as the Germans and the Americans kind of eyed each other, you know, a little warily. But the warmth and the smell of the roast chicken and the potatoes began to take the edge off. And You know, the Germans produced a bottle of wine and a loaf of bread, and while Elizabeth tended to the cooking, one of the German soldiers, an ex-medical student, examined the wounded American, and in English, he explained that the cold had prevented infection, but he'd lost a lot of blood, he needed food and rest. Well, by the time the meal was ready, the atmosphere was more relaxed. Two of the Germans were only 16 years old. The corporal was 23 and as Elizabeth said, Grace, uh, Fritz noticed tears in the exhausted soldiers' eyes, both the German and American. Well, the truth uh, lasted through the night and into the morning. Uh, looking at the American's na- map, the corporal told them the best way to get back to their lines and provided them with a compass. When asked whether they should go instead to the place called Manschau, the corporal shook his head and said, no, it's now in German hands. Well, Elizabeth returned all their weapons, and the enemy shook hands and left in opposite directions. Soon they were all out of sight, and the truce was over. Well, Fritz and his parents survived the war. His mother and father passed away in the 60s, and by then he'd gotten married and moved to Hawaii, where he opened up a bakery. Uh, For years, he tried to locate any of the German or American soldiers without luck, uh, hoping to corroborate the story and see how they had fared. President Reagan heard of this story and referenced it in a 1985 speech he gave in Germany as an example of peace and reconciliation. But it wasn't until the television program Unsolved Mysteries broadcast the story in 1995 that it was discovered that a man living in Maryland in a nursing home had been telling the same story for years. Mm. So Fritz flew to uh, this place in Maryland and met with a guy named Ralph Blank, one of the American soldiers, and he still had the German compass and map. And Ralph told Fritz, your mother saved my life. Fritz said the, the reunion was the high point of his life. Uh, Fritz Vinken also managed to later contact one of the other Americans, but sadly none of the Germans. But he died in 2002, almost 58 years today day of the Christmas truce. And he was forever grateful that his mother got the recognition that she deserved.
1: Oh, wow. That so, that story really was one of the best you have ever given on this program.
0: Well, it just touches your heart, you know, in a way that, uh, you know, I, really I don't think there's anybody out there that among us commoners that really want to fight or, you know, uh, and like I said, none of those soldiers wanted to be there. They wanted to be home with their families. Yeah. So.
1: You know, and I think there's a point to be made here that uh, through war, the absolute uh, demonic uh, face of war, if common sense could prevail with the soldiers like it did on those Christmas Eve nights, maybe we wouldn't have the world that we're living in.
0: You know, that's so true. And, you know, what a great time of year when Christians all over the world are thinking and and of of the savior jesus christ and uh... It's just kind of a uniting thing, I think, for uh, for Christians throughout the world.
1: You know, I was listening to that story, and I was just absolutely uh, moved by the bravery of the mother, knowing that uh, they could be shot for harboring the Americans, and how she must have taken complete charge over both the Americans and the Germans, took their weapons, piled them up where they couldn't get the weapons and hurt each other. Wow, what a brave lady she was.
0: Well, she was, because that's exactly what happened if they were caught harboring, and and the American boys could have been bad, too. They could have gone in and just taken what they wanted, and so it was just a good combination of good people... On
1: both sides. Yeah, but you know something though, Doctor? It's more than that. It's what Christmas does and what Christmas means. And for those in the audience here or anywhere around the world that want to diminish and stop Christmas, look at the good, look at the love, look at the camaraderie that Christmas brings people together.
0: It does. Um, you know, just another little short story. When. Uh uh my my dad was born up in montana up in harlem montana near the canadian border and uh my grandma and grandpa had uh four boys and a little girl she was about five years old and it got to be close to christmas time and uh they all got sick they were uh in fact the little girl got really bad and uh so grandma and grandpa decided to take her into uh i think it's haver montana And on the way in, it was wintery and snowy, and their car broke down. And, you know, back then, Zeb, if the car broke down, the next car coming along would always stop Mm -hmm. and offer help and see what they needed. And so the next car coming along stopped and uh, saw what the problem was. So they took my grandpa and uh, the little girl on into the hospital, and grandma caught a ride with the next uh, car that came along. And, uh, anyway, by the time she got there, this this little girl, my dad's little sister, had passed away. And so it was a really sad Christmas at that time, um, with all of them being sick and having lost a little child. And there was a good doctor that went out to their house and saw that they were all sick in bed. And he asked my grandma, I says, well, do you have a Christmas tree? And she says, well, there's one out in the barn out there, but we haven't put it up. And so this good doctor went out and brought this tree in set it up and decorated it with what uh, little decorations they probably had to just bring a little bit of a, a Christmas spirit into a, a pretty sad situation. And I, I've been forever grateful for that doctor, whoever he was, for taking time out of his life to, uh, to serve uh, others.
1: I I very seldom ever tell this story, but uh, it's part of Christmas. But I remember while I was in college in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and my friends and I were in a restaurant. It was kind of like a J.B.'s, Denny's, that type of thing, okay, back in Minneapolis. And I remember vividly that a waitress that was serving uh, the, a doctor had come in, and uh, he knew this waitress. And and he asked about how she was doing. She was uh, Her husband had been killed over in Vietnam, and she had two little ones at home. And I'm just making a hurry up on this story. And uh, he asked how she was doing, and she responded that things were a little tough at Christmas time. And I'm sorry that we were eavesdropping a little bit on the conversation. But anyway, after she left his table... We watched him. He was sitting virtually right across the aisle in a booth from us. He took out his checkbook, and he wrote out a check and left it on the table and hurried out the door, left the money for the the meal and everything right there on the table, and hurried out the door. And that girl came over and picked it up, and she just about fainted. There was a check for $500 for her to have with her family a Merry Christmas.
0: Well, you know, uh, uh, stories like that just kind of uh, help, you know, our faith in the in, in human nature and mankind. That there's a lot of people that want to do good and do a lot of good that nobody ever knows about. Yeah, it's anonymous, and I really respect those people that can do things like that and not expect to. Uh, have their back slapped and their name in the newspaper and things like that. Well,
1: that was way back in uh, 68 and 69 and money, $500 then, was worth a lot more than it is now and I I never found out anything more about the doctor. I never found out anything more about that waitress, but I was sitting there with my best buddy Joe from Staten Island, New York and two other guys. I'll never forget that as long as I live. Yeah,
0: well, and again, it's uh a... what a great time of year! I, I love this time of year. I love the music, uh, the programs. Uh, uh, we went to the Philharmonic Orchestra last Thursday night and listened to their Christmas program, and I just love the music and. Uh, this time of year well, just, I can tell you, uh, love it so much
1: you love it so much that you didn 't however want to drive over here, which I respect. We had a good program, <laughs> just the same. You know what you do an outstanding job, and I certainly hope that the road conditions will be better tomorrow, so you can come up and see us on our open house and maybe do a little bit more on the air with us tomorrow morning but, but uh,
0: my plan i'm Actually, going to bring some of my grandkids out if that's okay.
1: Oh my goodness, yes! And so we'll look forward to that. But Doctor History brought to you by Minicasha Sales, thirteen twenty one East Main Street in Burley. By the way, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now that we don't often do, but I want you to thank our sponsor, if you would, please.
0: You know, uh, I have known uh, this family since we were in the first grade <laughs> together. Oh my! It was middle school in Burley, Idaho. Can you imagine? And we've been friends all these years, <clears throat> and he has always been just great. Uh, when I had a building project or a cement project or anything, he uh, he just uh, is a big-hearted man, Roger Hansen is. Right. And uh, his family's the same way. And, uh, yeah, I can't say enough good about uh, about the, the
1: handsome. And you know, of course, Zach and uh, his children, and uh, he's got some great, great kids, one of whom we have seen grow up right before our eyes, and that's Abby, his daughter, because she gets on here and gives us the Pledge of Allegiance all the time. Oh, is that right? Absolutely. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> well, listen, God bless you, and Merry Christmas, Dr. History, brought to you by Minikasha Sales. Thank you so much.
0: And we'll see you tomorrow, Zeb. You have look, a good day.
1: Look forward to it. Thank you, my dear friend. Bye. Dr. Ken Turner, better known as Dr. History. Thank you very much.
0: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand.